Uh, we're starting a new series today called One. And as you saw in the trailer uh, or the bumper, that there is a host of ones found in Scripture. And uh, we are going to approach the series from a social, relational, spiritual, and theological point of view. Uh, because they're all covered in uh, Scripture. And uh, today, we're going to take a look at um, a very important foundational one uh, to the Jewish community and to the Christian community. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a very important passage. Uh, it's known in the Hebrew community as the Shema, which literally means to hear. And it begins in verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it was very, very important for a handful of reasons. Uh, Paul the Apostle would write in the New Testament that we are to watch our life and doctrine closely, because if we do so, we will save both ourselves and our hearers. In other words, we need to be as clear as possible about um, God. Now, I say that with humility, because we only know what Scripture has, uh, what God has provided for us in Scripture and in nature about who God is. And so he has only... Um, self-revealed what he felt we should know. And uh, one day when we are at home with him, with him on the other side, there will be a, um, what's the word for it? It'll be like whatever glass we've been looking through dimly will now be, um, can we say picture perfect? Uh, but for now, we, we kind of squint through a glass dimly to see what God is like. And when we catch a glimpse of the transcendent beauty of God and his goodness, it's just like everything about our life experience changes. And so this is why teaching like this this morning is very important. There'll be times as we go through the series, it'll feel more theological and spiritual than it will relational and social. But all of it comes together because God has put us in this world. And he is inviting us to live in a way that's different than our neighbors. Uh, when we are signed up, so to speak, to follow Jesus closely, there should be a distinction about us. If we look and smell and taste like everybody else around us, then maybe we haven't been infected by Jesus. Can I get an amen for that one? We ought to be different. Not peculiar and weird, right? <laughs> Christians have done a decent job of that from time to time by being weird just for the sake of being weird. And that's not, I don't believe that glorifies God, by the way. Uh, I think weird, if it's just weird, it's weird. And people say, I don't get that. Um, God, remember this, God gave us the capacity to reason for a reason. And so if what we're experiencing is unreasonable to the world around us, Paul writes very clearly in, in our gatherings, if it's chaos, right? If there's just a chaotic experience of what it means to belong to the church and people come in from the outside world and they say, I don't get it, then the people of God have failed the mission of Jesus because people should come in and experience the reasonableness of the gospel. The gospel appeals to spirit, body, mind, the whole person. And so sometimes the gospel offends, but it should be reasonable. And so uh, watch your life and doctrine closely, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. So it really matters what we believe to be true. And so the Shema helps us understand, um, first of all, the Hebrew people, how they were distinct from the neighboring nations around them in what they believed about God. And then it wasn't just how they believed or what they believed, it was how they lived their lives. And we'll look at both of those today. So um, if you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to uh, recite together this passage that's known as the Shema to our Hebrew friends, to our Jewish friends. 
And uh, so it's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning at verse 4. Would you recite it with me so your neighbor can hear you? Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, we're going to talk about a distinct view of God. This is our first thought for consideration today. Um, Israel's God was different. One God versus the many gods of Egypt and even within Greek mythology. And so remember, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, come out of Egypt uh, in many ways, 400 years, mistreatment, slavery, and there was a polytheistic, many gods approach to Egyptian cultic worship. Um, But the one true God led his people out of Egypt through Moses and Aaron, servant leadership, but it was Yahweh who brought his people out of Egypt, formed them into a nation, gave them commandments, as we talked about last week, in order to keep them free. Not to enslave them, but to keep them free. And so there was a whole new learning that was happening for the Hebrew people as they were led by the one true God through the wilderness, through the desert, and formed into the people of God. So in ancient Greece, there were many, many deities um, that were worshipped. There were 20 primordial gods, 12 titan gods, four Olympian gods, and many, many others that are outside those three categories. It would have been a polytheistic worldview. Many gods. Um, Our Hindu friends and neighbors, they worship many gods. Our Buddhist friends and neighbors, they don't worship God. It is a philosophy. It's largely atheistic. It is a philosophical worldview, but it's not a theistic worldview. Um, Paul the Apostle Uh, In the book of Acts, he is in a Greek environment on Mars Hill, Acts 17. And he is engaging the philosophers of his day, and he's talking about the deep things around worldview and deities and the divine. And he addresses them with their view of many gods. But there was an altar there with an inscription that said, to an unknown God. And Paul says, I want to tell you what you don't know. There is a God in heaven who is king over heaven and earth. And he goes on and presents the gospel and confronts uh, the Athenians and Mars Hill uh, as it relates to that which was unknown. And so the Hebrew people come out of Egypt, polytheistic. God is forming them into a nation, into the people of God. But remember, they left Egypt. This is where they had been for generations, 400 years. And in the Egypt Exploration Society, I studied that this week, this is what was recorded there. It says, the ancient Egyptians worshipped over 1,400 different gods. 1,400. And goddesses in their shrines, temples, and their homes. 
And these deities were the center of a religion lasting over 3,000 years. When you understand these 10 plagues that Moses was speaking over to Pharaoh about what was going to happen as God was bringing the people out of Egypt, there was very clear a confrontation between the small g lower gods of Egypt and the uppercase one true God of the Hebrew people. And God was winning at every point along the way. There were the false enchanters and magicians who were sort of duplicating. These were like false miracles, but they had some power. But the one who held all the power was the one who finally said, enough is enough. And he brought his people out of Egypt. And so this is not out of a place of arrogance today that we talk about the one true God. But in a pluralistic country like Canada, we have to be clear about what we believe to be true. We respect our neighbors and the religious uh, views that they hold. But we have to be clear about what we believe to be true. Both cannot be true, right? This is where the reasonableness of our humanity breaks down. Both Hinduism and Christianity can't be true, can they? There is either a one true God or there are many gods, but both cannot be true. Christianity is part of the big three, monotheistic, one, that we believe in one God, our Islamic friends, our Jewish friends, and the Christian community. We are all of the Abrahamic religion, so to speak. We all hold Abraham in esteem. Um, So the big three in the world hold to one God. Uh, We have been misunderstood specifically by the Islamic community as being polytheistic because we are Trinitarian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They don't understand the Trinity. And by the way, we don't either. (laughs) If anybody understands the Trinity, I would love to, I, I would give you the podium right now. I would say, please come up and explain that to us all because there is mystery around God. And I think it's meant to be that way. Remember looking through a glass dimly? Scripture from beginning to end, and we'll look at a passage in just a few moments, where right from Genesis chapter 1, Elohim is a pluralistic rendering of God. But God is not plural. There are three persons in the one Godhead. So we can say there is in essence one God and three persons. That does not compute to this small little brain of mine. Doesn't make sense. Because in my world, a person is a person, and if there are two people, then there is two people, and it's not singular. We have both true pluralistic hints within the name of God, Elohim, and we have the one essence. And we'll look at a few passages today to help you with this. So this is going to be a biblical teaching today that's incredibly theological, okay? So buckle up. You ready for a little buckling up? Um, We are very pragmatic around here if this is your first Sunday. We really want to give people handles to hold on to Monday through Friday. And at the same time, sometimes having a lofty conversation about who God is is very, very important so that we can be clear about who he is, right? We want to stretch our minds. We want to think deep thoughts. So can you track with me for about 20 minutes, okay, as we talk a little bit more about who God is? Um, So the mystery of God, Elohim and the tri-unity of God. It's a really weird thing for me. It it is the most mysterious part of um, Scripture is this idea that there is a tri-unity within the Godhead. It is the most perplexing, the most mysterious, and the most beautiful for me. 
because I see so many little hints of the design of God. You and I, and I've shared this many times, the reason why we are on a quest to know and be known, to love and be loved, to serve and be served, to celebrate and be celebrated is because we are made in the image and likeness of God. God is a relationship and I bear his image and so for me to live in isolation and withdraw from human contact, there may be a place for that for an hour or a day or a week, but I need to be in relationship with people. You need to be in relationship with people because you bear his image. He is a relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, unbroken harmony and unity, never to be fractured. This is the oneness of God. And the call and the invitation for every human, every human, whether we believe in God or not, the call and invitation for every human is that we would experience union with God, that we would be united to him, There's a sense in which the Trinity is in this perfect in-step dance with each other, and they make room to say, come dance with us. And so it's relational. Some people get confused about religion and relationship. It's both and. There's propositional truth, which makes it religion. And there's relationship because God's going after the heart. That's seen in the text today in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so I love the Trinity, not because it's clear and I can explain it very easily, but more because I see it all over the place. We are a community. That's one of the reasons we rebranded this church to be King Street Community Church, because God is in essence one, and he is also a community. And we crave it so badly. And this is what breaks the heart of God as we talk about this series, one. From a social point of view right now, there is dramatic polarization happening in the world. It is antithetical to who God is. Remember, God is in essence one, three persons in unbroken harmony and fellowship. And then he looks at the world around, uh, around us and we see all the fractures. We see all the us against them. You're in, you're out. You disagree with me, then you must be bad. I'm going to villainize you because you have a different opinion than I do. And it just breaks the heart of God because it's so not in step with who God is. And so Christians ought to be the kinds of people who reach across divides. Even with people disagreeing with us, we say there's room for people who disagree with us. Um, So if you don't take my word for it, let me introduce you to a couple of passages of Scripture. Here they are. And we could spend a series on these passages, but here's the first one from Genesis chapter 1. The Creator is having a conversation with Himself. I love this. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. Underline us, underline our. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and all over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Isn't that interesting? Let us make man in our image and our likeness. And then he makes them not just male, male and female. That can reproduce, right? Here comes the diversity of God's good, beautiful creation because relationship is at the heart of what it means to be an image bearer, made in his image and likeness and craving connection with other people. Jesus himself, here is the triunity of God. John 17, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one. 
just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us. Here's union right there. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Well, we got to hold the phone right there for just a moment. Jesus is saying the greatest apologetic outside of love. He says, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for each other. And oh, by the way, if there is a unity that's pervasive about these people, the world will look around and say, how do these people from diverse backgrounds get along so well? But when you see congregations and churches that are fractured and divided over the color of the carpet, it gets in the way of the proclamation, the announcement that Jesus is king. And so this is why it's awesome if you've never gone to another part of the world and participated in a worship gathering with people who don't even speak your language and you step into their gathering and they're worshiping the one true God, you will feel at home. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is there in that part of South America, that part of Africa, where languages, you may be separated, but there's something that's beyond language that pulls you in. It's awesome. Because the same spirit that lives in us lives in them. And there's like a homing device connecting us together. Unity and harmony. This is a wonderful opportunity for the church right now. When the algorithms and social media are targeting us to divide and conquer, sometimes influenced by foreign governments and by wealthy, greedy social media companies, we have an opportunity in the face of that to say no to division, no to separation, no to disharmony, and to reach across the aisle and celebrate each other and love each other deeply. Amen. We are building a multi-ethnic intergenerational community right here at King Street. And it's not just ethnic diversity that creates some challenges. Generations present challenges. How come the younger people these days, right? Or the younger people, those old people. Everybody who's younger today who might say those old people, one day your day's coming, right? We all know that. And those older people who say those young people today, you were once young and the older people in your day said the same thing about you, right? It's the way it works. We glorify God when we choose oneness. We glorify God when we choose to accept one another. I love that. Romans 15, Paul says, accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you. That is radical acceptance. And he says, by the way, you ought to accept each other. But Paul, you don't know how they voted in the last election. You don't know that they treat communion differently than we do in our Christian tradition. We pray for different churches, and you hear me say this often, and I know that for some of you, you're trying to catch up to it, and it's okay. I'll give you all the time in the world to catch up to it. We pray for our Catholic brothers and sisters. We pray for our Catholic brothers and sisters because one of my missions in the world is to rub out that artificial divide between the Protestants and the Catholics that has separated the church for way too long. We are one church, one body, one baptism, one faith. There'll be one heaven, by the way. There will be one heaven. 
Jesus is more than capable of saving Catholic brothers and sisters. He's more than capable of saving Protestant brothers and sisters who don't see the world like us as Pentecostal people. Pentecostal is down here. Being a Christian is way up here. That's the point. When we put brands over doors, when we put brands over doors and we say, well, this is who we are. Can you fit in with us? You know what happens? We actually discriminate in our hearts against the people that Jesus loves and the people whom he indwells. Could you imagine? Could you imagine saying no to people? You better think like us. You better speak like us. You better act like us or else you don't belong here with us. Whosoever will. Who said these words? Whosoever will, let them come. Whosoever is whosoever. Yeah, but pastor... We're going to watch a movie tonight that's going to actually affirm what I just said. The whosoever's, let them come. Even the disciples said, don't let the kids come. Jesus said, you're, you're missing the forest for the trees, guys. Picks them up in his hands and he blesses them. Even the disciples around Jesus said, hey, I don't know these people over here. They're doing some work in your name, but I, we don't know them. Jesus said, hey, listen, if they're not against us, they're for us. Leave them alone. The kingdom of God is advancing. So we broadly pray over church communities, Anglican, United, Presbyterian, Baptist, Catholic, one body, right? That's really, really important. And when we choose to say, yeah, but we are moving against the work of the Spirit, against the prayer of Jesus in John 17, and I would say this, that we grieve the Spirit. Let's not grieve the Spirit. Let's be people with wide open arms accepting others. I actually like it in this place. I wish you could see what I see. When we do the, um, the, the high priestly blessing at the end, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And I say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there are some people who go like this at the end. I see it. And I go, oh, that's so good. I love that. And for others of you, you're saying, but isn't that a Catholic practice? No, it's a cross practice. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, would you rather them make different marks on their bodies? And here's a question for you. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. When I visit Catholic churches and they read the word, the gospel, they go like this, they go like this, and what is it? May, may the word of the Lord be on my, heart, on my mind, on my lips, and on my heart. I love it. It's awesome. Are you with me today? Are you with me? That always sounds like an insecure preacher when he does that, but <laughs> whether you're with me or not, I think God's with me, and that's what matters most, so here we go. All right, time is moving. Should this be a one-point sermon, or should I share more? Let's share a little more, okay? A little more. I'll give you just a little bit more. So we are to have a uh, distinct view of God, and we are also to have a distinct way of life, and with this, we'll wrap up, okay? Um, the Hebrew and Christian communities understood that central to the Older Testament was this invitation to think differently about God and to live differently than the neighboring nations around them. We were not to offer our children as sacrifices in the fire to Molech or to the neighboring um, pagan um, deities. We were not to offer our children in sacrifices. We were to understand that there were moral 
conditions by which God invited us in to live our lives, not because God is the moral police of the universe, but because when we are lined up with the character of God by how we live our lives, we are in step with the rhythm of what's real. And God says, I don't want you to live in some sort of fantasy world or some sort of artificial reality. I want you to live in step with what's real. And so come into, step into a realization of my character. Uh, Josh McDowell gave me a great service a number of years ago when he connected the dots for me about three Ps. And I've shared these over the years and I'll just keep doing it because there's new people here. He says, if you want to understand the sticky parts of scripture, understand these three words, precept, principle, and person of God. When you read a precept in scripture, it says, thou shalt not um, lie to your neighbor or bear false witness to your neighbor. The principle is this, when we tell the truth, we honor and prefer one another. And God is truth. See how that works? Here's the precept, do not lie. When we tell the truth to each other, society works better. And by the way, God himself is truth. So down here, we are invited to be imitators. And so when it comes to a society that's fractured and there's disharmony and there's us against them and alienation and villainization, we say, people like me are calling you to a, a life of unity and harmony. It goes all the way up the food chain. Paul writes in, in Philippians chapter two that we ought to have the same mind, that we ought to pursue unity of the spirit. And the reason why we ought to do that is Jesus himself says a house divided won't stand. So if our nation is fractured in so many dramatic ways, guess what will happen to the standard of living in our country? It will go down. When a church is, is, is fractured and broken and divided in so many ways, what will happen to their mission? It won't be attained. And all of that is predicated on the fact that God is one, right? So it, it, it's precept, principle, person of God. That's the way it works all the time because God himself makes us in, our, in, in his image and likeness and we are always invited to imitate and become like him because that's the design. If we go another way, we go against our design. And so these social challenges we face right now are rooted in a misunderstanding of the one true God. We're going to have some interesting challenges because we have invited the nations to come to Canada with their religions. They have different ideas about morality. They have different... Secularism is a philosophy or worldview that is pervasive in our schools, in our governments, and in many ways it gets legislated. And the Christian community is saying, am I a Christian first or am I a Canadian first? If you're a Canadian first, what will happen is you will have to rewrite parts of Scripture. If you're a Christian first, then you'll be empowered by the Spirit to engage the culture with his love, with his power, with his wisdom, just like the apostolic community did back in the first century. And we know what happened there. Paul addresses the unknown God in Mars Hill, and there was demonstrations of the Spirit's power when they proclaimed the one true God and that Jesus was the one way to the Father. His power came to his people when they were crystal clear about the gospel. And so for us, if we muddy the water, if we compromise on all sorts of things, what will happen is we will uh, not be the distinct people God has called us to be. We will pollute our message and transformation will never come to society. So being realistic today, how many people are here in this congregation? Maybe 600 people today with our kids? 600 people. How many people live in the Durham region? 750,000 or something from Pickering, Duxbridge, and over to uh, Bowmanville and, and Clarington area. There's a lot of people here. What can 500 people, 600 people do? Probably more than you think. Probably a lot more than you think. And by the way, we're not alone. How many churches of 500 are in Durham region? A few churches of 1,000 or bigger in Durham region. There's all sorts of smaller community churches. 
There's thousands of us, by the way, strategically placed by God beside neighbors, in workplaces, invited to shine brightly. But if we just cozy up to the culture and say, what do they want me to say? I want them to like me. I want to be liked. I really do. I want to be liked. But I want to be respected more than liked. And sometimes, can we be honest as well? Our culture's pretty clear about what they think is right. And some of them are militantly so. I'm not asking you to be militant, by the way. I'm asking you to be a humble servant who loves people, even the ones who disagree with you. I don't think we ever argue people into the kingdom of God either. And I don't think we earn any points with them by telling them how wrong they are. I think what we do is we just shine brilliantly. We build fantastic families. We build unbelievably accepting, warm, unconditionally loving communities. And we say to people, why don't you come and hang out with us? They say, these people are different. That is the way of the kingdom of God. And they'll want to know who the king is of the kingdom when they see us living transformed lives. So both are not helpful. Cozy up and compromise, problematic. Fight people, tell them how wrong they are, not going to help. Live right in that beautiful middle to say, Jesus, have more of me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Make me a person who reflects your kind of love and help me to love my enemy the way Jesus did, turning the other cheek, positioned for relationship. So, so important. Um, okay, um, we need to end, I think, here in just a minute. Can I leave you with this last thought? Yeah, I'm going to. I didn't ask for permission, I'm going to. <laughs> Here's six words. Love, devotion, and symbol. This is found in the Shema versus fear, superstition, and idolatry. This is what characterized the people of God versus the neighboring nations. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here's the love word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Here's the devotion word. With all your heart. This is the difference. With all your soul, with all your strength. Tie them as symbols. I have two of them in my house, my garage door coming in and my front door coming in at my house. They're mezuzahs, bought them in Israel. And this is what is alluded to in this passage, where little scrolls would be rolled up with uh, Shema on it. And they would have parts of the law inscribed there. And it was a symbol. Some of the Jewish people would kiss it on the way in. I love your word. It's a practice. What Moses is getting at here is keep the word of God before you on your gates, on your doorposts, and you're coming and you're going. Be reminded of the fact that the word of God is to be in our hearts. And then Moses says, and by the way, put them on your heart and don't leave them there only. Impress them upon your children. Make sure your kids get it. Do your part to make sure your kids get it. Sometimes you can do your part and the kids still don't get it, and it's not on you. You've done your part. So, so do your part. This is what Moses says, right? He says, impress them on your children. Um, so love, devotion, and symbol versus the pagan nations around Israel, it was related to fear. They were always wanting to appease their gods. You know, the gods of the harvest and the gods of the rain and the gods of the sun and the gods of you name it. In an agrarian culture, there was something for everything. They were afraid, so they would appease their gods. It was very superstitious. There wasn't a devotion there. It was just kind of appeasement. And then idolatry, right? We believe that God is spirit. And, and they would create images. This is to the unknown God. They want to cover all the bases in Mars Hill to the unknown God just in case they missed one. 
And so with this, we'll wrap up today. Um, relationships matter a great deal when life is oriented around the one true God. And this is where we're going to go with parts of the series now. We're going to turn our page, turn our attention to relationships because um, Jesus himself was a good Jewish person and he was Messiah, Yeshua, right? In Hebrew, we have this Joshua, a form of Joshua. The Lord saves Jesus. He was the Messiah. He would gather in synagogue, worship, read from the scroll, right? I believe he tithed. He was somebody who um, kept the law but was recovering the spirit of the law, which was most important. The Shema was a big deal to Jesus because he was a practicing Jewish person. But he did something um, that writers have called the Jesus Creed. He took the Shema and he built on it. And we read it earlier today. And it goes like this. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him and asked him this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, you know this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He's quoting from the Shema. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then he wouldn't let them end with that. He said, by the way, if you're going to be in right relationship with God, more is, uh, more is required. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. They asked for one. He gave them two. Because in many ways, they are one and the same. You cannot pretend or profess to love God and treat people terribly. It doesn't work that way. Your love for God should be evidenced by your love for people. And my love for God should be evidenced by my love for people. So if I'm a poor lover of people, I don't love God very well. Is that fair to say? And I wonder if the world has shut down the message of the gospel. Maybe there were hard things for them to believe. Maybe there were moral circles they couldn't buy into. Or maybe they never really felt loved by the people of God. That's not to lay a heavy on you, but it's just to invite us back into this idea of vertical and horizontal. I can't pretend I'm more spiritual than I am when I treat somebody very, very poorly. And so the Shema has both vertical and horizontal dimensions to it. Love is the chief ethic in the kingdom of God in both Older and New Testaments. And Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am nothing. It all counts for zero, big, big zero. But it sounds so spiritual, Pastor, for somebody to speak prophetically and to speak in tongues. But then they leave the auditorium and they go treat people terribly out in the world. What's that about? Right. I'm all for speaking in tongues, sharing prophetic words. But love's got to be at the very center of the whole thing. So when somebody disagrees with you, what do we do? You're wrong. I'm right. No. What can I learn from this person? What part of their perspective can I appreciate? What if there are whole communities out there that think that we don't like them? Should I go there? Yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. Pastor Dave's getting courageous. Here we go. I get calls and emails from the gay community, and they want to know if this is a place where they can come and worship. Do you know what we say back to them? Whosoever will, let them come. Pastor Dave, that's a problem. You know what's a problem? People who need salvation who get barred from entering places of worship. 
Are they better off here or out there? This is a defining moment for us, friends. Can I say that one more time? Are they better off here or somewhere else? Whosoever will, let them come. How can I say to somebody, no, you're not welcome here? You know what I do? If I do that, the blessing of Jesus will leave this church. Some of you are saying the blessing of Jesus will leave this church if you let them come. Where did I get this boldness today? I don't know. And uh, listen, I'm open to conversations about this, by the way. Come see me. I think it would be better for you to come see me than to talk in the lobby because you know what that would be? The antithesis of what we're talking about together today. This is what we do at King Street. Ready? Here it is. And we've talked about this at a board level. We celebrate and preach and teach the design of God over and over and over and over again. And we hope there are more and more people that hear about the design of God. And we will never shrink back from the design of God. But this place here will never be a place for hate where we tell people how terrible they are. Because I think that will grieve the heart of God severely. Our job is to say, do I believe the gospel? And is it powerful enough to change people? 100%. So let the gospel loose to as many people as possible and let the spirit of Jesus do amazing work in people's lives. But I'm going to take the screen door down because I want to stand before the Lord one day and I will say to him, I echoed the words of Jesus, whosoever will, let them come. And let Jesus be the one who says, well done, my good and faithful servant, to all of us, to all of us. We got to live for the applause of Jesus. If we don't, we're going to mess it up. So, um, yeah, I've been a pastor here for 17 years. I hope to pastor here for a bunch more. Um, but I want to be a part of a grace movement that makes room for other people to come as they are. As they are. If they come as they are, they will be loved by the people of God. But I promise you this, just like when I came as I was, God loved me way too much to leave me that way. But he grew me up and he transformed me and he changed me and he matured me and he's still doing that in me. And you don't know the pain, by the way, that some people who are from certain communities carry in their own lives. And I think our job is to be a healing community, right? We'll teach the ways of God. Don't worry about it. Just like I'm being crystal clear today, we will teach the ways of God. But I hope it gets a little bit messy from time to time because the culture's spilling in. And Jesus is transforming the culture from within sacred spaces like this. Amen. I feel good about that. Yeah. I feel good about that. All right. That's exhausting. <laughs> I need to sleep. Okay. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. Every person in this place today, God, has deeply offended you at some point on their journey. And you are so gracious and so kind and so loving. 
that you don't give up on us, you don't close the door in our face. You work with us. Thank you. Thank you, God, that you're patient. Way more patient than we deserve. I pray, Lord, that you would help each and every one of us have a growing appreciation for your patience over us and your kindness. And so, Lord, the, the wafer and the cup that we were eating and drinking from, um, may Jesus truly take up residence in the church. May we truly be the body of Christ, not just an organized group of people who have a common creed. May we be the body of Christ, living and breathing by the Spirit of God, holding tightly to the values, the DNA of heaven, so that the scent of heaven is over our lives. And help us to teach our children well about the ways of God. Help us to be crystal clear, Lord, about all the things that you've been crystal clear about and help us to lead with compassion and kindness. And Lord, when I am anything but that, may you have mercy on me. And may you have mercy on the church when we think we've got it all figured out and we judge others. We leave that up to you, God. You will never get it wrong, but we will often get it wrong. And so, God, we just, uh, we just offer this prayer and this moment in time to you. May you work in it for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.